love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. We talk about that idea of dying to things that don't fall in line with who God made us to be. And I think in that process, something that we don't always name is the grief of that. And so it's like to name that, oh, this is a way that I've once survived, but I don't need that anymore. And I can grieve that that might hurt (laughs) or that that brings something up. And as I do, I have a deeper capacity to more fully be the person God made me to be. And that is beautiful. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram and we help you build better relationships. And today, we are continuing our series on the nine desires. And we're actually wrapping up the heart triad with type four. If you haven't already, please listen to episode 85 with Kurt Thompson to hear some of the foundation that we built around exploring our desire. So in this series, we will start every episode with two foundational ideas. First, God created humans to desire. And second, our desires are drawn toward what we find beautiful. And in this episode, we're going to focus on the desire to be authentic, accepted for who we truly are. Yeah, and this desire to be authentic, it is closely tied to the desire for identity, the desire for relationship, the Mm -hmm. desire to be connected to other people. I am searching for who I am in relation to myself and with others. Right. So if you find this to be one of your driving motives, you may be a type four or a member of the heart triad. Okay, so when it comes to the desire to be authentic and truly accepted, we basically have three paths that we can choose from. So we're gonna take a look at when the desire to be authentic is exaggerated, when it's diminished, and when it's healthy. So Lindsay, let's start here. Let's first talk about what does it look like when the desire to be authentic becomes exaggerated? So when this desire is exaggerated, that's when we're looking at the false self. You know, we are overemphasizing, or as we've been saying, kind of white-knuckling this desire so that it actually morphs. So when the longing is distorted in the false self, we take our desire to be authentic, but we settle for being unique or just different from everybody else. That might mean that everybody else is enjoying a game and we refuse to enjoy the game because that seems so ordinary. It's yeah. what everybody else is doing. It becomes, uh, when it gets supercharged, it becomes addicted to differentiation. Yeah. So this quest, you know, to be unique will leave us envious of what we perceive others to have that we lack, but also feeling superior because we have elite taste. So we choose to remove ourselves from the room 
But then we're looking in the room thinking, well, why am I not welcome in the room Mm -hmm. when we really we took ourselves out? And for us, not the only ones that do this. You know, we have reiterated every episode that we all have these desires to greater or lesser extents in our makeup. And so you might do this even if you are not a four. And that creates this push-pull feeling that the fours often have within themselves and within their relationships of, you know, I feel inferior, I feel superior, I want you close to me, no, that's dangerous, get away from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And this push-pull really diminishes joy and fosters resentment Mm -hmm. to God self, and others. Yeah, there's the old quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes, it's so true. And what's often the case is that this envy gets activated by beauty in particular, mm-hmm. that if if, mm-hmm. uh, if somebody's got a lot of this sort of four energy going on and they encounter somebody or something that is, and, and from their point of view, it's more unique or more beautiful, mm-hmm. that activates that stuff yeah. uh, big time um, because they're going, oh my gosh, this, this person possesses something that I don't and literally even being around it only reminds me that I lack this thing Mm -hmm. Um, and so it becomes a painful experience for them and then the envy kicks in. Yeah. So I have a biblical example of this for you, Jesse. Okay. (laughs) When I was thinking about this, I was started thinking about um, King Saul Uh and how he was very special. He was chosen, he was Mm -hmm. taller than everybody else. He became king, which is pretty awesome until David came around. Oh, yeah. David messed it all like, up. Right. When David slays Goliath, he's like, oh, snap. Like, people are singing his praises. You know, he doesn't even know that he's been anointed to be king. He doesn't even know that part. And he's already, like, thrown spears at him and stuff while mm-hmm. he plays his harp. You know, so he he actually had God's favor. He had all these great things going for him. And yet David enters the scene, and that's when he starts to have all this mm-hmm. really bad stuff stir up within him, so much that it like literally drives him crazy. Yes, yes. So when talking about an exaggerated desire, we do need to consider the role of grief mm-hmm. uh, or even trauma in our story. And uh, we've talked about this in other episodes, but uh, the, the key idea here is that in our childhood, all of us mm-hmm. lost something that felt incredibly beautiful and necessary for life to flourish. We felt that it was either taken from us or that we couldn't take hold of it or that we should have had it and we never had it. Uh, but the loss of that thing was profound. And for the for folks with a lot of this four energy, a lot of it has to do with this idea of I was never actually seen for who I was. Yeah. That I was overlooked, that I was misunderstood, um, that I would look at mom or dad or my friends or my little town that I lived in or whatever. And I always stuck out, but I didn't stick Mm -hmm. out in a way that was wonderful and unique. It was often I stuck out in a way that I just perpetually felt misunderstood. Yeah. And I felt pressure to assimilate. I felt pressure to be somebody that I just wasn't. In some way, folks, uh, I did not believe that folks could accept me for who I was. And I desperately wanted them to. Yeah, so often they receive that message of you're not enough in all these ordinary ways, you know, all the ordinary achievements we want people to have, but you're too much in all the other things. Yeah. And so we're you're constantly wrestling with this inability to be who you feel you truly are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're living with a regular fear that you will be ordinary, forgotten, you know, left out, 
too much or too little, here's some questions that we have for you to ask yourself. What happened in my youth where I felt like I was too much or too little? You know, really think through some of these scenarios, these key memories that you might have. And then what small step can I take to acknowledge this wound and begin to do the work of letting this wound heal? Yeah, and I think especially questions around what are you so scared? Like, if you don't express every, you know, unique point of view that you have, and if you say, oh, well, actually, you know, I like going to Steak and Shake, too. Like, (laughs) whatever it is. Like, if you, what is it that you are scared you're going to lose? If you lose uh, your authenticity, the supercharged, you know, do you feel like that's your whole identity and it's gone and it's a compromise and that's not who you are? Uh, Do you feel like your value goes down? Um, But uh, when you're feeling that compulsion, that compulsion Mm -hmm. of I can't be the same as anyone else in any way, that that's coming from a wound. And and we got to we got to spend time investigating that wound. Yeah. I like it when you say, you know, you got to follow it all the way to the end of the track. Like, let yourself go there in your journaling, you know. If I don't get this desire, what happens? Well, what happens when that happens? And what happens when that happens? Until you get to whatever is that. And then I will be lost, you know? Because yes. we all have that thing, that mm-hmm. final ultimate thing we're mm-hmm. trying to, like, not see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the things that go unhealed, they go septic. Yep. And that's what we're looking at in this false self. When we refuse to acknowledge the wounds, we can't be healed. And then it just creates bigger and bigger problems. Absolutely. Okay, so that is what happens when authenticity gets supercharged. And another way of saying it is we expect authenticity to do something for us Mm -hmm. that it actually can't do for us. Yeah. Um, Or uniqueness. Or uniqueness, right. Uh, And so so we supercharge it. Okay, now let's talk about what happens when it is diminished, when people are like, I don't particularly care about being authentic and I don't particularly care about whether people accept my authentic self or not. That doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me. Right. So the basic rule we're keeping in mind is that when any desire is exaggerated, whether it's authenticity or something else, it demands all the other desires to either serve it, so help it become bigger and bigger, or be killed off, be slain by it, you know, a.k.a. diminished. So we're either letting them come up or we're kind of suffocating them because they don't serve the primary need. Mm-hmm. So um, so if you find in yourself you just don't have much desire, much desire to be your own person, mm-hmm. to have an opinion that is a little different than everybody else, or mm-hmm. you have preferences that are different than the group, if you're like, I don't care about any of that stuff, is there some part of you that is actually really worried about what it would do to your relationships if you established your own stances on things, your own views of things, your own opinions on things. Do you worry that in some way it's going to restrict your freedom? Do you worry that it will threaten your security, either socially or professionally, that basically you just feel a lot of pressure, toe the line, stay with the group, do not stand out in any Mm -hmm. way? Um, Because here's the truth. When we look at the scriptures, what we see are two things. There's an invitation for us to be a part of the group and to identify with a lot of what's going on in a group dynamic. And, okay, these are God's people, and there are certain things within this group that we all hold in common, and the ability to be different and unique in your own person. And it's a both and. And so assimilation is really dangerous, Mm -hmm. and 
hyper differentiation is also very dangerous. And so it's this invitation where we have to learn how to hold both of those things. Um, So if you don't care about being authentic and true to your own values, ask yourself, what competing desire do you have that feels threatened by the desire to be authentic? Absolutely. So finally, let's talk about Kind of the good news. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You know? That was all like not good news. Okay, let's actually celebrate <laughs> What some happens things. when the desire to have authenticity and be accepted for who you truly are, what happens when that's healthy? So we've seen that Jesus tells us that our chief desire is to love God, love other people as we love ourselves. So when this shows up as our true self in Christ, this is going to look like honest self-expression mm-hmm. and creativity. Now, That doesn't mean unrestrained self-expression. And that can get real confusing for people where it's like, well, I feel this. Yes, the emotion you're feeling is true, but it's not necessarily representative of the deeper truth. Right. There's a patience that accompanies the reality of what you're feeling in that moment. So so there's honest self-expression. There's creativity. Uh, You're able to be emotionally attuned to those around you, especially when there's a need for empathy, depth in suffering. Um, But I would even add also the ability to celebrate with people. Like you weep with those who weep, you rejoice with those that rejoice. Because a lot of fours will go like, I can go in. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you go in on all the negative stuff. but, But when it's healthy, it's also the ability to go, an authentic part of life is that there are a lot of things worth celebrating. And I want to celebrate also. Right. So whenever you're living in that true self, you know, you feel grounded in the fact that God has wonderfully made you, you're able to practice emotional equanimity. And that's kind of what you were getting at, Jesse, that you're responding with exactly as much feeling as is appropriate without exaggeration. So you're able to ride the highs of lives and the lows of life with appropriate emotion. So Mm -hmm. you're celebrating when people are celebrating, you're grieving when people are grieving, but you're not over-identifying with either of those emotions. Mm -hmm. You you are not your sadness. You are not your happiness. Mm -hmm. You are you going through the tumults of life. Yeah. And so, you know, we see, you know, people who have a high desire for authenticity able to create enjoy beauty, um, and live life as whatever they're supposed to be. If they're supposed to be an arm on the body of Christ or an ear, you know, but they're part of the body and they're able to ride, you know, the storms of life. Yes. Yeah. And I do, I think a lot about, you know, when this desire for authenticity is healthy, there's a real sense in which we're attuned to the kingdom of God springing forth in us and that it has a natural movement out. Mm -hmm. And so it's this desire of like, the Lord is present with me, he's doing things inside of me, and I want to be aware of that and express those things. Mm -hmm. And also, I wanna be honest about, life just sucks sometimes, it's really hard, it's really dark, it's not all, you know, happy all the time. But again, it's emotions are not, they don't have the steering wheel, but they're also not in the trunk. Yes. They're in the car, but they're in the car with other really important elements. Yeah, Um, and this is hard. We're not saying that this feels easy. We're just saying, you know, that is where we're trying to all be. Yep. And we talked about Saul. So I would say this healthy, you know, the antithesis to Saul is King David. You know, the Psalms, that we see in the Psalms this great appreciation for authenticity of emotion. You know, we're seeing 
the highs and the lows, but we also see a consistent theme of trust and rest in God's promises in who he is and what he's doing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. David was always called a man after God's own heart. And when I was young, I always just thought like, oh, it means he's a very righteous man. Mm -hmm. And then I Mm -hmm. read the Psalms and I was like, oh no, he is (laughs) wild. I mean, he is emotionally all over the place. Like, Lord, forgive me of my sins, smite everybody else that sins. break their teeth. (laughs) Totally. I think that when scripture is talking about that he's a man after God's own heart, David has a very deep desire to have profound attunement to God and let God in. God, mm-hmm. this is the most private parts of who I am. Yeah. And I want to live my life in which uh, you're always a part of that and I'm always there with you. Deep commitment to authenticity. Um, and so when we think about what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart, I think that we're getting at this idea of, of emotional, relational intimacy with God that includes all the kind of crazy inside us as well. But yeah. that doesn't mean that, that all that stuff inside has to always be expressed right. um, exactly. and that we steward it. Okay, so that is our teaching on the desire to be authentic and accepted, Uh, but we want to hear from someone who identifies this desire as a driving force in their own personality. So today we have Andy Kolber with us. Andy Kolber is a licensed professional counselor and author of the critically acclaimed book, Try Softer, as well as the new book, Strong Like Water, Finding the Freedom, Safety, and Compassion to move through hard things and experience true flourishing. She's received additional training in her specialization of trauma and body-centered therapies and is passionate about the integration of faith and psychology. As a survivor of trauma, Andi brings hard-won knowledge about the work of change, the power of redemption, and the beauty of experiencing God with us in our pain. Welcome to the show, Andi. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, we are we're really grateful for you and grateful yes. for the work that you've done. And I've read Try Softer. I I just found it to be just really like as somebody who I tend to push myself super hard and I'm hard on myself. Um, I just appreciated your words a lot and the work that you're doing. Um, it's needed. Thank you so much. I'm so glad it felt like a resource to you. Well, let's uh, let's start here. So in Enneagram theory, the core desire for the type four is to be authentic and to be accepted for who they are. So not fake, not just sort of run of the mill, ordinary, yeah. blend into the crowd. Uh, does this resonate with you? And do you have an early memory that reflects that desire? Well, I would say first, it, it really resonates with me. Um, I think primarily starting with where I am as an adult, just to say authenticity um, is such a core value for me that, you know, especially in the work that I do, um, there's a lot of opportunity to potentially not be authentic. You know, like it's like you can, my friend Chuck says, social media is so often like smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I think about like that gives me like a visceral like reaction. Like, I don't like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I, there's something about that, that really is, I, I really dislike. And so, yeah, when I think about my childhood, um, I think about 
probably not having the words for it, but an internal ache to figure out how to be almost like this search for like, who am I? (laughs) And then how can I be that? Mm -hmm. Um, But like lots of, uh, you know, conflicting feelings around uh, what we get praise for, you know, and then, and then how we actually act. Right. Um, So I think there's that desire, that really good, healthy desire to want to be the person you're created to be. And obviously, as a kid, you've only, you know, you see that in part, right? Like we only know so much at a time. But, um, but I think back in because I have a lot of trauma throughout my childhood, and, and much of that being like relational trauma and emotional trauma, impacting I think the healthy development of the internal listening of that. Yeah. And so I look back and and see the ways that it's like, I think wanting and desiring to meet that need. But then ultimately when I look back, I see how that was blighted, you know, like it was like, mm. I, I started to go down a road of something thinking maybe this is the thing. And then it's like, no, that's like, that's not the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, I resonate with that experience mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a ton of four. And so much of my childhood had to do with really feeling unseen and Mm. misunderstood. So then Mm -hmm. as I got older and started to sort of in my teen years and in my 20s, my 30s, stepping into agency, when you feel unseen, you then begin to do things to make sure you feel seen. Yeah. And so this good desire to not you know, just toe the line just because everybody else does. But to be honest about what's going on, mm-hmm. man, it's it just, it can go haywire sometimes. Yeah, that's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing that we have seen when we're talking to different people about desires, you know, knowing what they want, whether it's big or small, we find that some people are really great at knowing what they want and even going for it. They're going to take action in certain ways. They're ready to go. And then we find other people, they might be asleep to their desires. You know, they have a hard time even articulating what they want, much less going after it. So can you give us an idea of, you know, how comfortable do you feel around acknowledging your desires and finding ways to pursue them? Yeah, I mean, I think currently I feel really present to myself. Mm. And I think for me, that is absolutely connected to, and in many ways, evidence of my own healing, my own integration of being in my body, like being embodied, you know, as a, as a trauma therapist, so much of the work that I do um, is very body centered. Mm. When I think of embodiment, I think of it as the ability to be in with and present to our bodies in a way that actually feels tolerable to us. Mm. And so as I look at, you know, my own life, I think there are times looking back that I thought that I knew what I wanted, but part of what I was more experiencing was that there was unmet needs Mm. and I was trying with what I had available to me and the knowledge I had available to try to meet those needs. I think the difference for me now is that deeper integration is so connected. I mean, partly to things like, you know, trauma resolution, for example, Mm -hmm. has helped so much, but emotional regulation. And 
just even knowing the difference between activation in my body that's connected to potentially like a stress response and then knowing how to listen as that dissipates and to listen for the deeper wisdom, um, which I do find comes. Mm. And so I find that for me, that question of knowing what you want, I mean, certainly it's not like I have that perfectly down, but there is a deeper knowing Mm. and that is really connected to that really healthy desire of like, here are the changes I maybe, for example, need to make because that's connected to what I really want. Or here's what I'm willing to say no to because it protects what I really want. Or here is are the ways I'm willing to show up because it allows me to go towards the things that I really want. Mm, that's really Beautiful. Good. That is so good. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we will be continuing our conversation on authenticity with Andy Kolber. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Hey, welcome back to the IndieCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. So we have been talking with Andy Kolber about authenticity, all of our desire, not just type fours, everyone's desire at some level, even if it's diminished, to be (laughs) your own true self, authentic to who you are. Um, So Andy, let me ask this. Do you find it difficult to tell the difference between being unique and being authentic? Does feeling that you're different often feel the same as feeling that you're being genuine? Mm. In my younger years, I can definitely see lots of times where being different, and when I say different, I even mean like, sometimes that might be feeling like isolated, but Mm. almost in a way that feels like I'm choosing it, or different like, well, yeah, everybody else does it this way, but I do it this way. I think that did sort of act as a placeholder for that. And I think if I, I will just name this for me, what I, what I sense is, is that at the time it's like, well, what I really wanted was to belong and to belong as my authentic self. Yes. Yeah. But because I didn't feel like that was possible, it was like, well, at least I can feel some value from being different mm-hmm. from, from in some way marking that, 
maybe you don't like me or you don't want me in this way, but guess what? I don't want you either. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like there's an, there's a sort of an agency to that. Not that that was always the healthiest thing, but the other thing I will say, because this is something I have been actually thinking about even just this last year is, you know, some of those, those strategies um, that I, sort of learned to, you know, the way I sometimes talk about it is to survive. This is, these were strategies that I used to survive in my life. And I see that some of the ways they've been able to transform um, to healthier versions is what I would say. And so what I appreciate about that, that sort of element of what I named there is that I think as an adult, one of the strengths to this is that I have something in me that knows from a healthier place, like even if other people don't choose me, that like I can choose myself Mm. in a really healthy way to say like, I don't need to be for everyone to be loved. I don't need to, I don't need everyone to get me to have value and to belong. And so, you know, I think when I was younger, that felt like I just did that in part just to, to find a way through to navigate. But in my adulthood, from a place of, I would say more from a place of wholeness, that actually feels like a resource to me. Because I'm reminded that those aren't the things that necessarily give me value or worth anyway, because there are other places and there are other people that I can experience those things with. And so, yeah, almost paradoxically, I think that that has become also a resource. Mm-hmm. I would imagine too, I mean, at some level, your work as a therapist, every week you are simultaneously experiencing the uniqueness of each person and the universal experience mm-hmm. that people are going through. And so I would imagine at some level, there's a sense in which, okay, this is good and I can celebrate the desire for uniqueness. And at the same time, I don't need to be scared to identify with others in a sort of, you know, in a way that's true for all of us. Yeah. I I think, I think people are just so fascinating. I am constantly just fascinated by how we operate and how we formed, how our were formed our bodies. Um, and I, I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. Like there is this sense of both and Mm -hmm. each person truly is, this is not my analogy, but essentially like their own fingerprint, you know, like they have their own fingerprint and we all have fingerprints. Yeah. (laughs) Like there is a common humanity to being alive. Like we all, Um, you know, pulling from Dr. Kristen Neff, she's done a lot of work around, for example, self-compassion. And she, one of the elements of self-compassion that I think is so fascinating um, is that there's a recognition of common humanity. And I find that fascinating in the sense of like, in order to help ourselves learn to, for example, have self-compassion. One of the things that we need is to remember that we are not alone in our suffering, that other people have also had experiences, maybe not exactly the same, but have also suffered and are also working through hard things. Mm -hmm. And so it's like we are both deeply unique and also 
very much interconnected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting even at the idea of what the theologians call the fellowship of suffering, this idea that Christ enters into our suffering and that when we suffer in some beautiful, mysterious way, we are connected to his own suffering and that it's not just this sense in which that thing happened to Jesus way over there and this thing's happened to me way over here, but there's some sense in which we are united in our suffering Mm -hmm. and this beautiful uniqueness of Christ that his suffering is not for nothing and that Mm -hmm. that when I suffer, I can go, there's purpose, there's meaning, there's, I'm not alone. Yeah, he's with me in this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a beautiful integration and and, and the one other integration I would say, too, that comes up for me a lot is, um, you know, when Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Yeah. I think that mutuality within that verse is deeply important because what it's it's sort of exactly the point of what you're you know like like what you're saying that sense of both andness mm-hmm. that like that we exist we have a self and that then extends to our neighbors mm-hmm. and it's like this it's this reciprocalness there's a mutuality embedded in that and i think that's one of the beautiful things about all this work is that there tends to be a deeper experience of our own potential compassion for ourselves. And that opens us up. That opens us up, I believe, to deeper caring and deeper compassion for our neighbors too. Mm -hmm. So we talked about, you know, in the teaching time, how, you know, when Jesus was asked, you know, what is this greatest commandment? You know, what are we supposed to be doing with ourselves? And he says, love God, and love other people as we love ourselves. And you already brought that up even about how important, you know, that is. So how would you say loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves reshapes the desire for authenticity? That's a beautiful question. You know, I think I believe it reshapes it because to me, when you describe that, that's wholeness. Mm -hmm. And so... When I think about the ways that our desire for authenticity can come out sideways, right? Mm -hmm. Like the ways that we have to be so unique or we have to, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's like a hundred different ways that I, that I'm not speaking to, but that desire, because all desires can come out sideways, certainly does um, and can. And so what I think about it is, is that difference between desire that comes from a place of of a feeling of survival versus the experience of it being in service of wholeness. Mm. And I think that, you know, none of us are ever going to, on this side of heaven, I believe, necessarily do that perfectly um, because we are fragile, imperfect. You know, we have all these different things that can come up. But I think the longer that we do this work, the longer we engage healing work and participate with God in the journey, I think we gain a capacity to have a deeper listening, to even like almost like hold it up and say, is this in service of wholeness? Is this thing that I'm about to do or this thing I did say or I'm about to say, is this in service of that? Because if it is, 
awesome. <laughs> Let's go for it. You know, and if it's not, can I allow it? Can I grieve it? You know, I think a lot of times we talk about that idea of dying to things that don't fall in line with who God made us to be. And I think in that process, something that we don't always name is the grief of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like to name that, oh, this is a way that I've once survived, but I don't need that anymore. And I can grieve that that might hurt mm-hmm. <laughs> or that that brings something up. And as I do, I have a deeper capacity to more fully be the person God made me to be. And that is beautiful. Mm. Love that. Well, that was really deep. <laughs> and now <laughs> let's do the opposite of that. Well, that was deep. And moving on. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Listen, stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing Show Me You Know Me with Andy Kolber. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Hey, welcome back to the IndieCast. Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Show Me You Know Me. Okay, so here's how we play. Lindsay is going to read a prompt with four ways to respond. Andy, before you tell us your answer, I'm going to guess what I think your answer is going to be. If I guess correctly, I get a point. And if I don't guess correctly, you get a point. Best out of five wins. Are you (laughs) ready? I'm ready. Okay, Lindsay, hit us up. Okay, round one. When I overhear strangers having a conversation or debate about a topic that I love and consider myself knowledgeable in, I will. A, listen in and quietly judge their opinions. B, Chime in with my own opinions in a friendly manner. C, turn the volume up higher on my headphones. Who cares what they say? And D, chime in if what they're saying is ridiculous and correct them. Is there an option, first movement of the heart, punch them in your heart (laughs) because it's ridiculous. I'm going to go with, uh, I think B. I think she would say something. So it's a topic that really matters to her. She has more knowledge than they are. They're saying a bunch of ridiculousness. It doesn't say that they're saying ridiculousness. I'm inferring that they're saying <laughs> ridiculousness, uh, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go B. I think okay. she would say something. Andy, what's your answer? You are right. I wrote it down before you said something. Yep, Love that's it. probably what I would do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, one, one, I, got a, I got a point. You got a point. Round two. When I open a jar or a can of food and it is expired by just a day or two but doesn't smell bad, I will A, eat it. What could go wrong? B, toss it in the garbage. C, give it away. Others could use my stale food. And D, mix it with some other food and cook it. That way I won't be able to tell the difference. Oh, those are good. <laughs> those are those good. good. Okay, she would not give it away. That's horrible. That's horrible. Uh, and I don't think she's a horrible person. So I was going to say A, but then you threw in D, which kind of threw <laughs> that threw me for a loop. So I really feel like it's a toss up between A and what A was eat it, right? Yeah, A's just eat A's it. Just like, D eat is it. like cook it with some other things. I'm going to go with A, which no, also infers. You're not gonna, no, you're Okay, it's I'm either going, A or not. All right, it's A. I'm saying A. Okay. Okay, Andy, what's your answer? You got it. <laughs> I need to pick some trickier <laughs> questions. Let's see. Let's. See. Andy and I have a mind meld going on. Or, uh, okay, round three. Okay. When I am on an airplane sitting in economy and the passenger in front of me fully reclines their seat, I A, do nothing. They're entirely within their right to recline. B, accidentally hit their seat a few times. C, angrily hit their seat and tell them to put up their seat. Or D, put my knee up and push it into their seat. Oh, snap. <laughs> that's some, uh, that's an eight energy wow. on uh, D yep. there. That's, that uh, is. Yeah. Okay, I have to think about it for one second. Okay. Option A is... Do nothing. Do nothing. Option B is pretend. Accidentally pretend. Bump into yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. C is intentionally. Yeah. And then and D them. is lean into them, like, aggressively. Yeah, I'm going to go... Wait, she's thinking. Make sure she's right. Okay, no, I got it. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, I'm going A. I think I think it's their right, and I think she'll be fine with it. Actually, did B. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I probably used to would have like my most of my life. I probably would have done A, mm-hmm. and if there was another option, every once in a while, I actually would say something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is probably the one that's like most within alignment of my integrity if I was gonna like I try not to be mm-hmm. passive aggressive but I feel like absolutely not doing anything and it being in there right like if you're in my like way back I might say something yep what changed it for me was kids for sure yeah like I have thing. a lap child and you reclined your seat and you expect them to not bump into your seat you're just wrong something is gonna happen yeah no and I think it's like not to like overanalyze. It's like, I, I want to be respectful. There is only so much space, but also it's like, mm, if it if it works to say something, then I probably would. I might give a little couple love taps <laughs> just like on, you know, on just the way so to the they bathroom, know this is going to happen. Just be prepared. Yeah. I do remember feeling different when, they, when I had small kids. Yeah. It's like, if it's just me and my book, fine. Yeah. If I'm juggling mm-hmm. my kids and their snacks and their yeah, iPads. Yeah. And yeah. It's a wild, wild please. west at that point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Round four. Okay. When someone is clearly not paying attention to a story that I am telling, I, A, take the hint and cut the story short. Or B, get angry, call them out. C, get annoyed, but keep talking anyway. Or D, ask them their opinion of everything I just said to embarrass them. Holy smokes. <laughs> That's that's pretty slick. Uh, okay, so option A, cut it short. Cut it short. Option B, call them out. Call them out. Option C, just keep going, but you're annoyed. Oh, it's between B and C. I'm gonna go B. It's actually 
Probably A. Mm. <laughs> I was on a roll, man. <laughs> you were on you're... a roll. This is a that's a tough one. That's a kind of a tough yeah. one. But yeah, like if someone's really not tracking, I'm kind of like, mm, all right, let's let's move on. Yeah. Yes, same. Yeah, I'm notorious for monologuing, and so it's it's hard <laughs> it's hard for me. Strangely, you have two podcasts in a book out, Jesse. Uh, no. <laughs> I I mean, I can certainly monologue. That's true. I can do that too. But yeah, if I'm really getting the vibe, yeah, I'll just cut it short. Yeah, I was telling Lindsay something the other day, and you literally turned your back on me and walked away. And I was clearly not done talking. <laughs> no, and no, you, no. And you end up saying, you go like, you went and told the other staff members, I'm not, I'm still in the sentence. And you go, he won't stop telling me about this thing. Like, yeah. That was totally different. You were hounding me with an idea. You weren't telling me an interesting story. Those those are all the same to me. No, that my latest my latest misrepresent. idea my latest idea and a good story are synonymous in my brain. Okay, uh, okay. okay so it's a tie. All right, Wait. here's the final one. Let's see what happens. <sighs> Nervous for you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, when someone approaches me in a familiar way, saying hello as if they knew me from years ago, and I have no idea who they are. Oh my I, gosh! Oh my! I a, just, this is a nightmare. <laughs> With the flow, speaking in vague generalities until I remember who they are. B, apologize and politely ask from where I know them from. C, pretend I knew them but make no effort to try to recall. Or D, ignore them. If I don't remember them, they got the wrong person. So so D is what you did to me the other day, just ignoring me <laughs> as I was Full trying to that. talk to you. Um, so A is... A is just like oh. talk and try to kind of figure out where you might know. Yeah, you're looking from. for clues. Okay. B is what? Just yeah, ask. Like okay. sorry. And then C really. is pretend, but don't really try to. But you to don't really actually out. care all that yeah. much. Uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go A. I think she's gonna look for the clues yeah, yeah, yeah. without trying to embarrass the person. Uh Andy, what's your answer? <laughs> this was a close one. I, I went with B. B. Oh, she's I... so mature. I now, because like my brain, like I feel like I'll like forget people so quick. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's me aging, but so I'll just be like, I'm so sorry. Can you remind me your name? Like, yeah. I'll, like I kind of try yeah. to weave that in. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I will say there's certainly been times when I'm like, I should know this person. I know this, like that kind of, like if I recognize them, but I don't remember their name, then I would wait. Mm-hmm. But if I don't recognize them at all, I probably would say something. That's that's really healthy. It is. That's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> D would be really bad if you're like, wrong person. And they're like, no, look, this is a picture of me and you from seventh grade. And Dude, like, I, I did it last week. Somebody came by the office and one of our employees came in the office and she said, hey, somebody's here. She says she knows you. And I turned to our new executive director and said, listen to me, you have five seconds. If I don't say this person's name when they walk in this room. You got to figure this out for me, and uh, thankfully I did know the person's name. So that's hilarious. Uh, okay, so Ani, congratulations! You won. You're a mystery. <laughs> you have retained your, your mysterious, your mysterious for uniqueness Her remains intact. Her maturity just yes. beat you in this game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and now it's time for eleven quick questions. Okay, so here's how it works. We're going to ask you 11 questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Uh, okay, Lindsay, kick us off. Number one, where is a place where you feel relaxed? The beach. What is a food that you hate? 
Mayonnaise. Same. What stirs up joy? Sunsets. What stirs up sadness? Trauma. <laughs> yes. That's Same reasonable. Again. Sorry, sorry to laugh. Yeah. What is the last book you read and enjoyed? Every Season Sacred by Kayla Craig. Mm. What is the last book that you read and you did not enjoy it? I know a lot of people really liked this book, but Catcher in the Rye. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you could own an unusual pet, what would it be? <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind is a koala. Mm, mm, good choice. Uh, what is your coffee shop order? A uh, vanilla flat white. Mm. What is one personal vice you would like to get rid of? I would love to continue because this is something I've been doing for a while, but like just cut down like screen time, mm-hmm. social media time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is one thing that you would convince the world of if you could? To do their own emotional work. Yes. What is a current desire that you have? I would really like to travel to Hungary with my mom. Mm. That's where she was born. She was a ref- she was a refugee that had to flee Hungary when she was only four years old, and she's never been back. And wow. so I would love to go there with her. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today and talking with us. And I just I think that you've just done such a beautiful job helping people understand the value of authenticity, why we need to want that and go after that. And uh, it's really just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Andy Kolber. Listen, you can learn more about Andy by going to her website, andykolber.com. That's spelled A-U-N-D-I-K-O-L-B-E-R.com. Also, make sure to pick up a copy of her brand new book, Strong Like Water, Finding the Freedom, Safety, and Compassion to Move Through Hard Things and Experience True Flourishing. You can also pick up her other book, Try Softer. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministries who helped train us in the Enneagram and also about desire. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. Experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. You can grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. <laughs>